Welcome to second episode of Collateral Banter. I'll try to lecture you a little less in this episode. I said I'll try. I am going to talk about election of 2016 and the meaning behind it. What does it actually tell us? So I won't discuss Trump and the administration and the far right like I did in the first episode. I'm going to try to analyze it from a sociological perspective. We've reached a point in human technological development that needs to be discussed because the implications for it are impossible to measure how, how different we are today's society. They are so powerful how they've changed who we are, what we're becoming, and the election of somebody like Donald Trump, which I want to add, I knew was going to happen. I you know I don't want to say that I knew it definitively, but I was pretty sure it was a possibility and I, I bet my friends. I, I have emails to prove it. It's the only thing I can use. I will have my friends on and you can hear it from them, but I definitely felt like this was a strong possibility, largely because a lot of the signs that I think I want to talk about today were apparent to me. And it doesn't make me anything special, but we don't yet realize the changes that have happened to society. A breakdown has happened from us as a society to us as individuals. Um, and what that actually means and how individuals are shaped and how those individuals then reshape society. And I have to discuss the power of technology. So there's a narrative right now in America. The narrative is pretty simple. That the Russians use Facebook and other internet measures, including hacking and hack the DNC. I'm not going to discuss that. But I only want to say that nobody's complaint so far is that the technology that exists out there creates that opportunity because what really matters with technology isn't that it's good, bad, evil. It's that people can use it to achieve their ends and means. So if you have the ideas, you have the skills, you can go out and create whatever mischief you want. So in that sense, if we think about that from that perspective, I don't know why people would be surprised or shocked that governments will intervene in elections. You know, that, another question could be asked about what role they did Trump and his administration have with working with Russians? That's different. And if there were any laws broken in. But the fact is, they didn't even need to come into the country. I, I mean, I think what this tells us, one thing, is that individuals in this new age, organized, well-funded, with the right expertise and technology, can impact and influence elections unlike that we've ever seen. And really profound. So the whole point of this rant is, I want to discuss data means in this world. So, so I want to start off with how, how I actually got into this world of what data and technology is doing to us. It goes back to 2011, 2012. I had received a request on Google Chat to add a friend who I never recognized. And for months, I didn't respond to that request. I don't know why. I've always meant to say, and then click no, because I didn't know the person. Why would I accept a random chat request? I could tell it was some type of hacker thing. I don't know. So I click, so I scroll over in my mind and say, okay, you got to click no. Same time I'm doing that, I accidentally click yes. Okay. At that moment, I just thought yes was no. So I panicked. I was shocked. I was upset. So I decided to Google Gmail customer service support. Because clearly, I'm using their product. It should have customer service. Be like, hey, I got this error. Maybe you can fix it. No, no, they, they don't. And then that made me question and say, wait a minute. You know, I'm not paying anything for Google and they don't have customer service. So I really can't fix this. So what does that mean? What, what is Google? So that
that to, to my mistake in accepting a Gmail chat request is the reason that I even began to question, wait, what's going on over here? What does this technology mean? What are they doing with us? And I began to realize, and so I went out, bought a bunch of books, which I should, I will read from at some, maybe a couple of sentences or paragraphs, but really says, we are living in a world where things, people believe in free things. People believe there's free, something's free. There's nothing, nothing free. And it's really interesting that the way technology is built today, especially, and, and I, look, I'm not going to attack all the technology companies, especially not Apple or other companies where you actually have to purchase the product. And yes, they probably still monetize you, not nearly to the level of something like Facebook or Google. So I'm specifically talking about Facebook or Google here, where their free technology is actually controlling who you are and what you do and what you see and what you read, who you hang out with and what you get on your newsfeed and what news articles you read. And all of that that's being given to you for free in these targeted advertisings, actually things they know about you. They actually know this data from your previous history and from these things called data brokers. I want to just tell you what data brokers are all about. Really, there's a list of companies here. Axiom, Ypsilon, Rapleave, Blue Kai, Spokio, Flurry. I know, never heard of these companies. I'd say the biggest one uh, out there is probably Axiom. It's based out of Little Rock, Arkansas. And just to give you an idea of what they do here, they have amassed at least 50 trillion data transactions every year on America. They have data on 96% of American households, 700 million customers worldwide. What do they know about you? Your race, your gender, phone number, type of car, education level, number of children, square footage of a home, portfolio size, recent purchases, weight, marital status, politics, health insurance, occupation, right or left-handedness too. By the way, that, that is also from Future Crime. I was just kind of skimming there. But what does that tell you? It tells you that everything we do in a sort of a digital economy, the digital technological world is collected, monetized, and sold. So when you think you're doing things for free, actually not. And so what technology is doing to you is creating your own reality and your own world. I can manufacture what you see and what you believe. If I know things about you, I can then scour the internet and send you information. And then you think you're informed. But really, all you're getting is pre-packaged information based on where your previous likes. Now, here's the important thing. Why do they do this? You know, I've often thought to myself, why the hell do they do this? It is the business model. I mean, my main complaint isn't even about technology, okay? Technology is not the problem. It's the business model that these companies use to make money. So Apple will sell you a product and you will purchase it with money. That is how they're generating revenues oftentimes. iPhones, computers. Look, there are issues with those and I want to discuss them. But in something like Google search or a Gmail, they really know users really well what you're using. Even, even, the, even the way when you go onto Google search and you search for something, what you'll get. So companies are doing this in order of monetizing who you are, what you see, what you make. Besides that list, what I just read of them knowing a ton of things about you, they can also know, you know, where you shop, where you go, where you visit, and your cell phone gives that out. And so we have this digital surveillance economy. And I think it's the most frightening and slightly interesting, but still frightening and scary moment in human life. Because I can stand here right now screaming in front of this microphone and tell you, I know the future. <laughs> it's easy to predict the future of where this technology will take us. And I've been ranting to my friends about this, the same ones that I talked about during the elections. If I can predict the future. I know where this technology will be going. They know things about you, where you are, how long you're there, what you're purchasing, who you're with, and these things. Then they can know if you're sitting in front of the TV and sofa all day and not exercising and not running and not walking. And so what's going to happen to 
to you is that eventually these companies amassing hundreds of billions of dollars. And by the way, data surveillance economy is worth about $156 billion a year. I'll just give you an idea. They're amassing data, selling it, and now they're going in for the regulation. They want to deregulate the economy. So what they'll be able to do is offer you personalized health insurance. But the trick is they want more data about you. So I'm going to read from an article that I found online by ProPublica, published with NPR, called Health Insurance are vacuuming up details about you, and it could raise your rates. That's where my rant came from. The article was published July 17 by Marshall Allen. I just want to read a section here from you, exactly what I said. Are you a woman who recently changed your name? You could be newly married and have a pricey pregnancy pending. Or maybe you you are stressed and anxious from a recent divorce. That too, the computer model predict, may run up medical bills. Are you a woman who purchased the plus-size clothing? You are considered at risk of depression. Mental health care can be expensive. Low income in a minority? That means the data brokers say you are more likely to live in a dilapidated and dangerous neighborhood, increasing your health risks. It goes on to read here. Insurance contend they use the information to spot health issues in their clients and flag them so they get services they need. And companies like LexisNexis say the data shouldn't be used to set prices. But as research scientists from one company told the author, I can't say it hasn't happened. What a surprise. Who knew that that's where it would go? Such a shock. It's a huge shock. It's an unbelievable shock. This article needs to be read. If you've listened at all to my article, you need to find time. Read this ProPublica article. It's outstanding. It's one of those articles that just should be read by everyone. This is another part of the article. Patient advocates warn that using unverified error-prone lifestyle to make medical assumptions could lead insurance to improperly priced plans. For instance, raising rates based on false information or discriminating against anyone tagged as high cost. And they say the use of the data raises thorny questions that should be debated publicly, such as should a person's rates be raised because algorithms say they are more likely to run up medical bills? Such questions would be moot in Europe, where a strict law took effect in May that bans trading personal data. Just to see how large this is and how developed the data technology is, here's another part that's just so fascinating. The company here they're talking about, Optum, owned by a massive United Health Group, has collected the medical diagnosis, tests, prescriptions, costs, and socioeconomic data of a 150 Americans going back to 1993, according to marketing material. The company says it uses information to link patient medical outcomes and costs to details like their level of education, net worth, family structure, and race. An Optum spokesman said the socioeconomic data is de-identified and is not used for pricing health insurance plans. Sure, I believe that. Even if that's true today, it's exactly where it's going. And here it is. Here, here's the killer. Isn't hard to understand the appeal of all this data to insurance, merging information from data brokers with people, clinical payment with people's clinical and payment records is a no-brainer. If you overlook potential patient concerns, electronic medical records now make it easier for insurance to analyze massive amounts of information combined with personal data, data details scooped up by data brokers. Okay, so I will stop reading from this because I'm sure that gets annoying. Right now, they want to collect footsteps. Where you walk, are you driving or are you riding a bike, right? To places, wherever you go. Hey, you're free to go, but we got to monetize you. We got to monitor you. And it's just so Orwellian and sane. The Europeans, by the way, are great. Shout out to the European Union on this one. At least I think they have a better understanding of this and they have regulations. The GDPR 
it, I think it's an important measure. I don't think it goes far enough in certain areas, but either way, you have these companies who know these things about you, get to shape what you read, who you know, who you hang out with, what you see. Today, people feel powerless about it because as they deregulate, they're going to get to your movements, how, how long you walk, how long you exercise, do you ride a bike, do you walk to work, do you use public transportation, all of this data, and then charge you a certain rate. And it makes some sense in this when you have Johnny over there who runs for two hours a day before work and then lifts weights after work. You're not gonna, you're gonna charge Steve who doesn't do anything and goes to work angry all the time, leaves work and doesn't exercise a day in his life and on weekends sits right in front of the TV and watches sports all day, right? Those things you think like, hey, they're both free. They're both free, free to do what they want. They absolutely are. But someone's gonna be coming for Steve. The health insurance companies are coming for Steve. And there was a commercial back for United Health where a father was monitoring his steps and he had to follow his daughter around throughout the day and things like that. And that's where the companies are taking people. Now, that's where they're taking us in the short term, right? Monitoring who you are, what you're doing, who you're hanging out with, how many steps, all of this crap. And then I know the future is, I bet you we're maybe five years out, maybe more, is they will eventually want your DNA. They will eventually want your blood. Because if we can mine your genetic makeup, then we can tailor a, a treatment plan or, hey, you have this small genetic defect and it could cost us high rates in the future because you have this rare disorder that may come up because you have a higher probability than everybody else. And so far that isn't happening too much here, but I did remember there were uh, back in 2016 or 20 early 2017, there was a push in Congress to begin having employers push this and it just fucking made me insane it just made me lose my mind but i don't see unless we begin a social movement to stop this or to demand that people's genetic coding be protected but you're also seeing a lot of these companies that go on ancestry.com and you begin to give up your dna who is to say that a data broker won't go over there and buy that and sell that information to a health insurance company or to a life insurance company that's where this is all going and people need to wake up to this and i don't give a shit you know about right left everybody thinking about that it is essentially and it will sound very wrong and disgusting, but it is all about human slavery. They are essentially conquering our mind. They are integrating the human being in the production process of capitalism. And the only way you can do that is by enslaving people. I want to give you another example of how they're going to do this. Monitoring your car, right? They will monitor your car now for car insurance. They will monitor it for three months and then give you 25, 30% off. But by the way, because they don't get to monitor your car for three months, you pay a much higher rate, right? That's how it works right now. It is the industries, the companies that are able to figure out how quickly you stop, how quickly you drive, where you're driving to, all of that data is going to be amassed. And then they will calculate an insurance rate. And again, they'll make the same excuse as before. Why should Johnny, who can't drive, get charged a lower rate than Steve, who's a great driver, even though he doesn't do any exercise? So this is how you push people. It's about incentives and money, right? It's it's if you can throw money somebody's way and say, hey, you want to have a lower health insurance rate? Get out of your ass and go to the gym. They know the science behind it is pretty conclusive that that's what you do. You'll be in much fitter and better shape. And I think that that's really important for people to figure out is that that's that's what's going on. They will make they will punish those they see live a certain lifestyle. Those that they see as a living a preferred lifestyle will be rewarded for it financially. They will have a lower 
health insurance and car rates. Now, here's the thing that we don't think about, and I really needed to say this, is we also have to start understanding where people live and how that will impact these health insurance and, and car insurance rates. So I'll give you an example. Somebody living in rural Illinois who, let's say, has to drive an hour to go to a local Walmart. It's the only store nearby, okay? Chicago's four hours away. Something like this, okay? Pick any state you want. That person can't just get on a bike, not a motorcycle, a bike, and just ride their bicycle over there and take the groceries back. But the health insurance rates for those people who have to drive everywhere to bring back groceries and food, it's going to be significantly higher. So we have to reconceptualize it and re-understand the spaces that we live in. Cities where people depend on public transportation will be radically different. People will be treated differently for living in urban areas that have public transportation if they use them than people who live in rural areas and have to drive everywhere to pick things up. That disparity, which isn't ever talked about, isn't ever really discussed, but should be discussed, um, will cause a tremendous change, I believe, in life expectancy, in income earnings, and things like this. And that you see that the cities is where a lot of people are moving to. Their health insurance rates, their, their health insurance outcomes, I think is going to start growing and improving significantly relative to those living in rural areas where you have to drive around it. Look, I'm making this about health because I feel that it's really personal. And I don't know if there are enough people out there enraged by this. If people are upset, if people talk about dick pics and things like that. And I guess that should upset people. Uh, but so much bigger than people upset about other people seeing their genitalia. It's an entire economy. It's an entire life that we're, we're talking about. The interesting thing is you hear this in both politics between individual rights and what are collective rights. And I feel like right now I'm thinking of the left where we've been debating people's identities versus people's sense of purpose in a collective society. And yet, if I had to guess based on the sort of data surveillance economy, what's going to win out is the individual. We're seeing the sort of unions, we're seeing these sort of collective actions being smashed for, hey, you're actually an individual. Sure, if you want to believe all that stuff, you can, but you're still an individual. What you see, what you're curated to is is all about the individual, that individual experience, the internet, the Google searches. People need to start fucking with these things. And that's that's one form of individual resistance. Is start Googling things that you would never think of in a million years. Google something that's ridiculous. You know, look, fuck with it. Fuck with it as fucking hard as you can and see what you get out of it. Think that way is the way that we scrambled the data and to tell them to go fuck themselves. Now, I want us to add another personal story before I wrap up. A while back, I went on to this company, Little Rock, Arkansas, called Axiom. And there's a, actually a webpage, which I can actually post somewhere where you can actually see the data they have on you. And so I logged in and I looked up the data they had on me and my family. And it was all wrong. All of it. Every single thing from income to who's living there. The individual and the customer doesn't have any power of protection to protect themselves. That's the ultimate key. It is about somehow putting us in the floor. I think that from the ability of companies to both monetize and shape the reality and vision that we have. You know, we've been debating this post-truth shit. And I'm sure I'll rant about it at another point. That is really the fucking important thing is how do we combat that post-truth? Well, now everybody has a truth. Before, I think in society, yes, journalism was this profession. Now it's been destroyed and we had certain established individuals who went through school, who had to go through, you know, now everybody's a journalist, right? The same thing with photography. You see everybody holding up their cell phones and just having to take a photo during that moment so they can send it out to their network. I think it's a lot of crap. I don't do it. I just want to enjoy the moment. The fact that I don't get shared gives a shit. Yes, it's nice to stay connected with family. Yes, I just a year and a half ago, I got a, a smartphone 
Jordan for the first time in my life. I was so behind the eight ball. And yes, it does allow some perks in society. And I guess they do monetize uh, my life now and, and other things. And so I feel like I'm stuck within it too. So I am a hypocrite to this. And look, I'm doing this show. I can't hate it that much, to be honest. I mean, the problem isn't the technology and the spaces that we're given. Again, I want to reiterate that. Really important. It's not about that. You can you just want control. We need control over this. And individuals don't put, we have to collectively protect people's data uh, from exploitation. I mean, that's where we're at. We are integrated, like I said earlier, we are integrated into a production model. We are integrated into a reprogramming of the human individual. To not sound like I'm repeating myself from the first episode, but I will reiterate this. I think think that what the end result is, is it the breakdown of nation states, the breakdown of nationality, the breakdown of our cultural understandings of who we are, what we are. And, and it's clearly going to be a meshing of the human beings, a human species, and we're going to live in one global world. You know what? I don't know if there will be one global government, but possibly, yes. And as we begin our shift from a society that begins to exploit the planet Earth, use it to build our own ends to some spatial society, essentially going through a transition. You can't tell. Um, sort of a futurist sort of feeling about things. I think the human being is eventually going abroad. Somehow we will integrate all of this into the production and space exploration. But that's where this goes. That's where this is headed to. The, the capitalism is this train that is on one track and wants to go through everyone and everything in its path. People who on the right who want to protect national identity and who we are and what race, all of that is gone. All of that is, I think, already dead. These moments that we're seeing right now are just a small foot known in our history. Maybe that's me being optimistic because I've sounded a bit dour. Uh, this data that we have is just radically different than anything we have seen, but it, what it's doing to us, what it's making us believe and think and confusing us and not knowing what truth and reality are, maybe it's a good thing. Maybe because now there's less of these establishment journalists, we can now teach ourselves what we want to know and what we want to hear. However, the consequences of that for us, at least in the short term, are detrimental. So I'm torn between this. I don't think I can come out with one way or another. You can probably understand between me mishmashing back and forth. But yes, it democratizes it. But at the same time, has eroded sort of trust ability. I mean, there's no faith anymore in any institutions that we have pretty much at most societies except the military. But don't worry, global production capitalism will eventually get to the military. And the trillions of dollars being spent in abuse and waste. And once those stories begin getting pumped into the mainstream, people's faith and trust in the militaries will collapse. And I think that that's the last one, right? Because connecting this all back to political struggles, we're seeing everybody distrusting everything and everyone and feeling like they have to live together in certain harmonious societies that are homogeneous. And, and really, that is why I think that we're seeing this rise of this populist wave, mostly on the right to this, this decade. But we've saw it on the left a little bit on the last decade. These populist moments are being reinforced by sort of this technology, data production, the reprogramming, the, the construction of your own identity. And what's wrong with that? It's your own identity. You get to believe whatever you want, regardless of facts, established norms, who cares about all of that? And it's so interesting when once I've come to this realization of all of these thoughts, that when I look back at the election and I begin to realize that this all kind of makes sense. This all of these things about debating Trump and post-truth and Trump didn't make any sense. It's why I think I was able to understand that Trump's appeal and logic was a possibility of people electing in the country. Because if, if you can figure out that, you know what? 
just appeal to your base. Who cares what the other side is saying? Make up lies about the other side. Create your own truth. In some ways, he's politically astute and having realized this first. A reality TV star who sells illusions and all of this shit. And people just buy it up. Of course they buy it up. Of course. Why are we surprised by that? Who wouldn't buy it up? You know, the fact that Trump on the right did it, it could have easily been, I think, on the other side. But no one gives a shit because, you know what? We can just, I know I will. I will return to the newspaper and I will look for articles that I don't expect. And as long as newspapers don't come in and shift the way the internet does based on my previous preferences, I'll be fucking okay. I don't want you to shift. I want to read articles that I know nothing about. You would have never guessed them based on my previous fucking preferences. Fucking hate those companies, okay? Fucking hate them all. In fact, Google, Facebook, I just can't wait until they're disrupted. And Mark Zuckerberg is worth nothing. 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 Because you know what? We're at the point where everybody else is fucking freaking out about all this shit. But you know what? person like Trump could never exist had this reality not been constructed this way. And you know what? There is a different model. Because I love app, but the cost is either you pay something up front, you actually pay for a product, and they won't there know every single thing about you and not protect your data and privacy, which I, I maybe am being too generous for the Apple than those type of companies. Uh, but I despise Silicon Valley and I just needed to say it. Okay, I will calm down. Um, as I wrap up here. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I, I just had to say that. I, I want to add one more story for people that I just think is, is really important because it's always on the news. Another, so this is like Adela. Here we go. North Korea. So this is an article I wanted to tell you guys about. Since I'm talking about data production and so basically I'm talking about the internet, computers, sort of modern technology. North Korea, it is estimated that it has in its mountainous regions somewhere between four to ten trillion dollars in these rare minerals people need. Like silicon, excuse me, in other uh, minerals to create autonomous cars, computers. The fact that they're sitting off on things like iron, gold, zinc, copper, limestone, graphite, and 200 other kinds of minerals and rare earth minerals that really right now is actually dominated by China. I think China controls about 67% of the market. Really is a stunning story because it's not really covered, not discussed often on the internet. When we begin to hear about North Korea in the news, that the ability to get North Korea on your side puts you in an advantage in the global sort of competition in the world. And look at China today. You know, people think, oh, China's got control of North Korea. You know what? I was Chinese and their leadership, my best friend would be North Korea. Because if China and North Korea, and let's just assume that North Korea does have somewhere between four to ten trillion dollars worth of these rare minerals that are needed to make iPhones, computers, smartphones, most technologies, autonomous cars. Korea is going to be one of the richest countries in the world. I can invest in it right now. Let me tell you, I would. If China can team up with North Korea, and they already have an alliance, my God, they will single-handedly be, I think, two of the richest countries in the world. I mean, China's already sort of set on that path to be number one, which used to be its historical role, but I don't want to get into that. But North Korea teaming up together, they can control the rare mineral sources. They can basically tell people how much the prices are going to be for things. They can kind of control the market, how much will be for export and import, and say, no, we're not we're not selling you that stuff. And meaning that the rare mineral prices will move up in the world, especially as demand is about to go up. Who knows about what quantity? That that about sums up the craziness of this episode, but that's the things I like talking about, so hopefully you've enjoyed it. I hope that you listen to future episodes, and I will not just be talking and ranting like a crazy lunatic. I will invite people on, and I will have conversations with other friends and things like that. Hopefully you'll get a mix, a bunch of different episodes, and I hopefully you've enjoyed this. Take care.